You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. I'm one of the non-bald guys in the place. Although my wife did mention right up here, if I was Jewish, I could do well with a little bit of yarmulke or a kippah, but I'll stick with the hair I got. So we're in a uh, study, the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, please. Acts chapter six, we got seven verses we're gonna focus in on. Remember Jesus promised, I will build my church. And we see that in the book of Acts. We're talking about being the church. Why? Being leads to doing. So we're seeing that as Christ forms us personally and corporately, it transforms the body of Christ. Today is a doing passage. It really is. And it's a beautiful passage about leadership, prioritizing the things that God prioritizes. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, if you're like me, you've been a part of the church for any period of time, would you agree with me that every now and then relational conflict knocks on our door? Have you had that experience? 42 years as a Christian, I could say I've heard that knock a few times. And so relational conflict is real in Scripture. Now, I would suggest this. There's many reasons for relational conflict in the church, but at 50,000 feet, what I want to speak to is relational conflict within the body of Christ. And I believe the primary reason is this. We have an enemy who sees God at work and wants to counter his efforts. And so from beginning to end, we see that conflict is one of his tactics. In John 10, Jesus said this, the thief, Satan, the enemy, comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. You know what he wants to kill? Relationships. God honoring healthy relationships. He wants to steal the joy of biblical fellowship. We looked at that. It's called koinonia. One in heart, one in spirit, one in mind. He wants to destroy the work of God. And I would contend one of the primary ways he does it is through relational conflict. And so this past week in preparation for this morning, I read a true but sad story. How many of you are from Texas? You hail from the nation of Texas. Let me see your hands. Not a one. Anybody at home? Just text Jason. I don't know. No Texans here, huh? All right, this is Iowa. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. So what was I going to say? Oh, True but sad story. Now, if you know a little bit about Texas, this is the Bible belt, right? Or let me qualify, the Bible buckle. If anyone should get relational conflict right in the church, would you agree it's the Bible buckle? Well, sadly, this church didn't get it right, and one church became two. It's a church split. It got worse because it became litigious meaning the two parties fought over the property, went to courts, yes, to the courts of the land. You know what was cool about this story? The courts turned it back to the higher courts. 1 Corinthians 6 says there's no higher court in the land but the Christian courts. So the denomination met with the warring factions and they made a ruling. And the ruling was to one party, 
and they got the property. Sad story. But here's what they discovered in the investigation that the conflict began at a potluck dinner. When was the last time you've been to a potluck dinner? Most of the ones I went to were pretty fun. If you feed them, they'll come. Not this one. Here's the facts, guys. I'm telling you the truth. The conflict began when a young lad got a bigger piece of ham than a leader in the church. And it started there. Now, of course, you know there had to be stuff brewing already, right? And so you might say, Keith, what a silly story. No, it's not a silly story at all. You know why? After 42 years, I called this fighting over the color of the carpet. And have you had discussions about the color of the carpet? That's why I turned things over to Cole and Greg. Thank God you get to deal with the color of the carpet, not us, right? So what? Color is the paint going to be this week? Forget it, just joking. But swing the pendulum, folks, to the other side. The Bible talks about dissension. And a lack of forgiveness can lead to bitterness and can lead to schism among brothers and sisters. It's in Scripture. In chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, one of the most endearing books, epistles in the New Testament, Paul says to his yoke fellow in the faith, he cries out to a leader. He says, help two leaders, Yodia and Syntyche, to get along. These weren't just leaders. They were co-workers with Paul in the gospel. They were right and left-hand leaders. They were on the front lines, and they were warring with each other. Paul says, please help them get along. Help them bring peace to the church. Why? So the gospel can advance. So we have a real issue this morning, Acts chapter 6. Please stand with me. Love for you to follow along. Your Bibles, your devices, we do have it on the screen. I want to echo what Pastor Jason said. Taking notes is a good thing. Why? You'll remember more. Bring in your Bibles, your devices, you'll engage more. It's just a fact. Not trying to hurt anybody, just trying to encourage you to get into God's Word. Acts 6, 1 through 7. In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers... Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to preaching ministry. The proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Philip, Pacorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then notice the conclusion. So the preaching about God flourished. The number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. It's estimated that there were 8,000 priests who oversaw the worship of the temple. A large group of the priests overseeing worship in the temple came to genuine faith in Christ. Please be seated. And so, folks, let me try to set the stage here. What's going on? 
ministry, God is moving, he is working, the kingdom is coming. We're five years approximately into the church's beginning. Thousands are being saved, Acts 2, 3,000. Later on, 5,000 men add women and children. We're thinking right now about 10,000 believers in Jerusalem that may have had a population of about 120, 150,000 people. That's about 7, 8% of Jerusalem saying yes to the good news. So what happens? God's moving. The kingdom's coming. Ministry's happening. Folks, this is a relational conflict grounded in kingdom work. Why? The church was doing what they're called to do. They were caring for widows. James 1.27, true and undefiled religion. Take care of the widows and orphans in their distress. So we have two groups, they're warring against each other. One is frustrated with the other. Now, by the way, when it says, look at your Bible, Grecian widows... Basically, what that means is they're Jewish in ethnicity, but they grew up in the Greek-speaking world, the diaspora. They were scattered around the Mediterranean world, came back to Jerusalem. Their Bible was called the Septuagint. It was written in Greek. They were immersed in Greek culture. Now they're coming back to Israel, Jerusalem, in their final days as widows, And boy, there's a difference between the other group of widows, the Hebrew widows. They grew up in Israel. Their Bible was in Hebrew. And so already there's a little bit of tension because of culture. And so ministry's happening. Widows are being cared for. And what happens often in ministry? You serve the Lord. You're pouring yourself out. And Satan wants to create a wedge, wants to create a divide between God's people in God's servants. Folks, please hear me. This had the potential to rip the church of Jerusalem apart. But guess what happens? The apostles engaged. They saw the conflict. They saw the enemy's attack, and it's a counterattack against them. And so, if you have your uh, connect card, here's the blessing this morning. And I love this. When leadership enacts scriptural priorities, it sets the stage for unity and for the kingdom of God coming, for the gospel advancing. Folks, that's the blessing. The leaders engaged. They saw the problem. They saw the hurt. They saw the enemy attacking. And boy, they went after it. So we're going to see four priorities this morning. We have to limit it. There's so much in this passage. Let's take a look. Priority number one, the leaders prioritize peacemaking. And folks, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of one of the most lofty attributes of a kingdom servant. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Own that, please. And so look to verse one. Acts 6, verse 1, in those days, as the numbers of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint, again, by the Hellenistic or Greek-influenced uh, Jews against the Hebraic Jews, those who grew up in Israel, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. I'm curious this morning, from your version, mine reads, there arose a complaint. What word does your use? Give me another word. What's a synonym? Complaint, all right. 
Anyone else? Woo! Wow. Grumblings of discontent. What version is that, Miss Brooke? Woo! I think they got it right. Let me show you the Greek word here. This is one of those crazy words in Greek. If you think you can pronounce it, take a stab at it. Gagusmos. Say that with me, please. Come on, Cole. Gagusmos. It's not that hard. That I'm telling you the truth. Sometimes like, are you serious? Now, you know what's interesting about this word? Did you say it, by the way? All right, cool. The first time we see this word is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The first time it's used in the Bible is when the people of Israel complained against Moses. Do you remember that? Oh, wait a second, Moses, come on. I used to love eating leeks and, and onions by the Nile, and you bring us out into the wilderness to starve? Hey, Moses, who put you over us? And then the big complaint that really got God's attention, did you bring us out here to die? And folks, what happened was in that goosemossing against God's leader, guess what happened? God showed up. You can read it. It's not a very pleasant account. I would encourage you, limit the gagoosmossing. You with me? I think you remember that word, right? Um, but that's the thing. There's complaining, there's grumbling, there's a rift. Here is a real issue when ministry is happening. God's widows are being served. The people of God are blessing. Remember, they sold things. They gave things to the apostles. There was distribution of food. But one group felt slighted against the other group. And so now the rift was possible. Let's talk a little bit about peacemaking. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle Paul says, says this. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the faith and the bonds of peace. The phrase make every effort means work hard at it, prioritize it. Why? Satan brings that rift within the body. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Peter got it. He says, live harmonious with one another. But if we still struggle with the value of peacemaking, let me draw your attention to John chapter 17. John 17, Christ's final hours, it's his high priestly prayer. And here's what he prayed. He prayed, Father, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Christ prayed for our unity. And there's a reason it's missional. When we are one, when we are united, as we had two progress reports in act, one in heart, one in mind, one in spirit, the kingdom of God comes. When there is division, when there's one group warring against another group, when there's gagusmas taking place, oh, it hurts the advance of the gospel. And then, as I already alluded to, Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are, the poor. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called children of God. And so here's the question this morning. How would you categorize your faith journey? 
Are you living harmoniously? Are you striving to keep the unity of faith in the bonds of peace? As Christ looks down, does he say, child of God, why? Because there's a heart for peacemaking, resolving conflict that ultimately will knock on our door. Why? When you do kingdom ministry. I could say this with absolute assurance. After 35 years of vocational ministry, the number one issue, the number one attack on the church is this, relational conflict. You divide a house, the work's over. You create conflict from within, the work is hindered. And the apostles knew that. They knew that Jesus Christ was the prince of peace. And so they worked hard and they prioritized peacemaking. Let me introduce you to a fellow this morning that's really dear to me. His name is Ken Sandy. And I don't care, this, this, these principles can go to uh, your workplace, to your home, to the school. It doesn't matter where you are influencing people. Learning to be a peacemaker is crucial, but especially in the church. Ken Sandy wrote a book called Peacemaking. It's the primer on peacemaking. But let me show you a relational grid that he put together. And I love what he calls it. It's a um, relational wisdom 360. And basically to the left and to the right, Ken highlights ways to not bring peace. To the far left, it's, it's the denial. It's sweeping the stuff under the rug. It's, it's never dealing with the stuff in a marriage or in a friendship or in a ministry. To the right side is what's happening here. There's the attack mode. There's the grumbling. There's the complaining. Both right and left are lose-lose propositions. But in the middle, folks, is the beautiful approach for peacemaking. And there's a handful of ways to bring, bring peace. Proverbs 16, 19 says, it's to your credit to overlook an offense, to not make a big deal out of everything. But sometimes, as Jesus says in Matthew 18, you got to go to your brother and sister. You got to resolve stuff. And then if you can't get it resolved, you get help. It's called arbitration. It's called mediation. And every now and then you need, as this church did, a higher court, 1 Corinthians 6. It's called the Christian court. Ken Sandy has outlined that beautifully. Here's the encouragement. One of the things we're doing this coming fall is working with our life group leaders and training them and developing a curriculum. Peacemaking is going to be a big part of that. The elders are going on a retreat this coming weekend. We're going to be discussing this more. It's flowing out of this beautiful text. Why? It is so important to prioritize the things God prioritizes. Why? To keep the unity of the faith, to keep the bonds of peace. Secondly, priority number two, prioritize process. Look back to your Bibles, if you would, verses two and three, but I, I want to highlight uh, one verse before then. We have a measurement at Westwind as part of the journey experience called effective structures. Now you might say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me show it to you. It's 1 Corinthians 14.40. Paul says, but everything must be done decently and in order. In other words, everything in worship, in ministry, our processes, our structures really matter. Let me show you a structure that was enacted here that we have followed literally for 2,000 years. Verses two and three. Then the 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, 
So what the apostles did was brought the believers. I said there were a lot of believers at this stage in the journey. A lot of believers came together, and here's what they said to the believers. It would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. Here's the beautiful thing about the process. They got it right. I see four criteria here. Number one, they selected believers. Why? You know, to, to help other believers get the conflict resolved. Secondly, they had to be of good reputation. Why good reputation? So the people would have confidence in them. The word on the street was they are a person of character. They are a man and woman of integrity, full of wisdom. Why full of wisdom? You're handling the resources, the finances, and the conflict within the church. You need God's wisdom, would you agree? This is James chapter one. And then full of the spirit. In other words, they're spiritually empowered to do God's will his way. What a blessing is the people stepped to the plate and uh, seven individuals were brought forward. I learned something beautiful from this passage, and it's a great reminder for all of us that God values both character and competency in ministry. Let me present that to you just simply. Why character? If your character falls, you have nothing. If you have all the competency in the world and no character, guess what? It's for naught. But comp character without competency means what? You're a godly person who can't get the job done. The reason they needed to be full of wisdom, why? Wisdom's doing what, what is right without precedent. Wisdom is skill for living God's way. They needed individuals who had character, God-honoring character, mature, spirit-empowered, but the wisdom was so necessary to get the conflict resolved, to handle the financial matters. Look what happens, folks. Look at verse five. The proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte uh, from Antioch. And the beautiful thing is, they found the individuals. And I love this process. What's the process? The believer says, hey, word on the street is they're people of integrity. They're empowered by the spirit. They're endowed with God's wisdom. We nominate these individuals. The apostles affirmed it, laid hands on them, prayed, and guess what was chosen? They're not formally or technically deacons now, but they are the precursor to what's called the deacon deacon ministry of the church. And the deacon ministry for the past 2,000 years, folks, and over two, two million churches globally have served the body of Christ and the community beautifully. What a great process. Take a look. Who is serving the Lord faithfully? Ministry comes to people. You don't have to run after it. And folks, one of the things we believe here at Westwind Church is the right people in the right places for the right reasons. That's a beautiful way to do ministry. They got it right. Priority number three, prioritize preaching. Prioritize preaching. Look at verses five through seven. And by the way, I don't put this on here because I'm a preacher, although I really do like the point. 
So follow along with me, verses five through seven. The proposal pleased the whole company. I already read the guy's name, skip on down. So the preaching about God flourished and the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Folks, that's one of the six progress reports in the book of Acts. Luke is excited to tell you this. Yeah, there was an attack. There had the possibility for a great rift. The apostles engaged. They prioritized peacemaking. They prioritized process and people. And guess what happened? As a result, the preaching of the gospel continued and many came to genuine faith in Christ. Let me encourage you. Next few weeks, you're gonna hear about two men. The first one is Stephen. Do you realize Stephen's one of the seven chosen? And sometimes we downplay, oh, he's just waiting on tables. He's just resolving conflict. Oh, no. This is a precursor to Stephen being emboldened in Jerusalem because the rest of Acts 6 and Acts 7 demonstrates that Peter was one of the preachers. And he preaches his epic sermon. And he got stoned to death for it. And he's kneeling down. He sees heavens open. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Father, don't hold this sin to their accounts. He's preaching the gospel, and he was martyred, the first martyr of the church. You know who Philip is? Philip goes out because of persecution in Acts chapter 8, preaches in Samaria. Remember, Jews, Samaritans don't get along. Persecution thrust him out. He preaches the gospel in Samaria. The gospel advances. Then the Holy Spirit says, go meet this guy, an Ethiopian eunuch. They open the gospel of Isaiah. The eunuch comes to faith in Christ and gets baptized. Two of the seven men in Acts 7 and 8 advance the gospel through preaching. Why preaching? Let me take you back to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Luke 8, 1. Here's what it says about Christ, and it's a continual theme. Soon afterwards, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. God has chosen to use the preaching of his word. His word goes forward, and it won't come back void. That's Isaiah 55. He promises to use his word. Now, your hearts have to be open. Your mind, your life. You can sit here right now with a hard heart, hard mind, and boom, push back on the word. You can do that. Or if there's a teachability and openness and God opens people's hearts like he did Lydia, the gospel advances. One more verse about preaching, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Paul says, Timothy, he's being martyred for the faith now. Paul's in his final hours. I solemnly charge you before God and Jesus Christ, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in kingdom, proclaim the message. The NIV says, preach the word. Persist in whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. We talked about one of the DNA pieces of Westwind Church, and that's just preaching the Bible. Going book to book, chapter to chapter, verse to verse. And it's a delight to engage a book, regardless if it's a year or two or three, it doesn't matter that we seek the whole counsel of God. We don't pick and choose. 
Folks, there's some topics already in the book of Acts that I would rather not have addressed. Acts 5 wasn't pleasant. Ananias and Sapphira losing their lives because they were liars. That's not pleasant to address as a preacher. And yet, if you let the word of God speak, if you let the full counsel of God speak, you address it and you trust God to work. Now, finally, and we'll close out here. Priority number four. Prioritize prayer. Look at verse four, and please open your devices, open your Bibles. I really want you to see this. This is just the heart and soul of who we are at Westwind Church. Pastor uh, Jason talked about relentless prayer. That's one of our core values. Look at verse four of chapter six. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching of the word. And so I want to encourage you, Praying and preaching is not greater or more important than serving widows and waiting on tables. That's not the point in Acts 6. The point is this. When God gives you a role, he calls you to function in that role and to not compromise that function. The apostles were given a God-given role to pray and to preach. And they knew they had to delegate this other role or they would compromise their calling from God. And so they're saying, we need help. We got to do this church thing as the body of Christ. We got to mobilize every individual for ministry because God has gifted every believer for ministry. But they kept their focus on prayer and preaching. Paul got this in Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. He says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Again, back to Westwind's core value, one of them, relentless prayer. For the past few years, we've talked about becoming a house of prayer, and we have advanced. Thank you for that. What a joy the past six to seven months to dedicate one week a month to prayer and fasting. Thank you for that, folks. Thank you for saying yes to becoming a house of prayer. We've done concerts of prayer in the past before COVID. We've had outpourings where there was praise and prayer. We just want to continually uh, become a house of prayer. And so this past Thursday, as an elders board, as we met and we processed how to close out this morning, we want to challenge you. We talked about this and, and we presented something. It's to my left, your right, called 40 Days of Prayer. And here's what we're hoping to do between now and the launching of our property at Westbrook. We want to start with becoming devoted to prayer, as Acts 6.4 says. We want to emulate Acts 1, being united in prayer as the body of Christ. As Ephesians 6 just said, we want to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, praying without ceasing. Now, some of you, uh, like me, always need to be encouraged, need to be reminded for prayer. So last fall, you may recall the elders, as we did our elders visit in our gift bags, uh, gave you a devotional, 40 days of prayer. 
And it's a book that's real basic. It's like a five, seven minute devotional. Love to pray. And there's 40 devotionals in here. We want to encourage you, if you haven't accessed this, to access this book. And by the way, we have a bunch here on the table if you didn't get one. Just take one. It's our gift to you. But could you think about maybe renewing your prayer life, jumpstarting your prayer life, or some, you just need a kick in the pants to be praying again. This is your book. Grab this and maybe just start uh, tomorrow and let's journey for the next 40 days. The second thing that we thought to do was um, take Acts 6-4 as a memory jogger. And so how many of you here are morning people? You love the morning, morning is the best time of day. Yeah, just four of us, that's great. <laughs> How many of you are evening people? Your best work's at 1 a.m. All right, one more time. How many of you are morning people? You got to choose between A or B. If you say you're for the noon, it just doesn't work. All right, it's about 50-50. Here's what we want you to do. Would you consider, let me show it to you on the screen. Would you consider setting your alarm, morning people, for 6.40 a.m., evening people for 6.40 p.m., let that alarm go off and jockey your memory just to pray. Pray where you're at. You could be driving down. You could be at Menards. You could be having ice cream with the kids. It doesn't matter. Hey, guys, it's 6.40. Can we pray? And then the final one, and this is a big one. Let's go to the property. And this is the one that we're going to make very practical and very tangible this morning. We want to, with all our heart, mobilize our church just to pray, guys. We don't want to legislate how to pray. Once a week, we're going to give you a theme to pray, so we'll push that out. But what we have is, to my left, your right, is a calendar. It's real simple. Starting tomorrow night, all the way through September 18th, we're asking you as individuals, as couples, as families, as ministries, children, youth, life groups, worship, elders, whatever, to take one day out of the next 40 days to show up to the property to pray. Let me ask you, is that too big of an ask? In fact, I think it's entry level, but here's the thing. We'd love everybody to be mobilized to do this. And so this morning, we're gonna give you an opportunity to sign up. I know that's different, that's weird, because some of you are glued to your seat, some of you have already put your Connect card underneath the seat. Jason's collecting them. But Brett's going to come, and he's going to lead us in worship. Run to the Father. We chose this song strategically. Why? In prayer, we have that privilege to run to the Father. And so I'm going to sign up this morning for the elders. And we're going to be heading over to the property a couple times in the next 40 days. We're going to have our 6 a.m. Thursday meeting there, and we're going to dedicate a significant time for prayer. Folks, you can come from work or going to work. You can take your lunch break. You can come as families, any way you want to do it, ministries. We want to encourage you. Sign up. We would love to populate that calendar. Love to see our church continue this journey of house of prayer, devoted to prayer, united with prayer. So as Brett leads us in worship, we encourage you, pick a time. It's, it's totally up to you how you accomplish it morning, noon, and night. But again, we want to encourage you to pray. Let's respond as the Lord leads. <laughs> 